The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts. Radio. News. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Hot Pursuit. Thanks so much for joining us again on another episode of Hot Pursuit. We have a lot to talk about today um, because there's a lot of car news, actually. Surprising uh, amount of car news that came out kind of overnight. Porsche, obviously we talk about Porsche all the time, um, but they're going to be releasing some new models and we'll um, hear the details from Hannah about that, at least as much as we know thus far. Over the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of F1 news, right, with uh, Lewis Hamilton um, moving to Ferrari and Cadillac and the Andretti's getting a big no. So we'll talk about that as well. I've been driving a ton of different cars, actually. I've driven like four different cars over the last week. It's um, impressive. Yeah, so I drove the well the Mercedes GLS that I was considering buying for our family. It's kind of a bus. Um, I guess that was to be expected, but I drove the BMW i5, which was at first the first few days I was driving it because it was around town and slow. I was like this is boring just like every EV. But then when I drove it fast, when I drove it in anger, I was really impressed. So we'll talk about that. And um, speaking of driving in anger and being impressed, I drove the Cadillac TT4 Blackwing, which... Amazing. Amazing. Great um, car that no one wants to buy. Yeah, well, and there's the CT5 Blackwing as well. Both of those cars have been lauded across uh, the journalistic press, but... Um, I just don't see that many, or maybe I don't notice. I never see them. I never see them anywhere on the road. Well, maybe and, it's an LA thing. And the thing about the um, the CT5 Blackwing is that it's kind of the last of a dying breed. It's really a muscle car, you know, mm-hmm. wrapped in an uh, executive sedan. And we have a great guest today to talk about all these things and more. But I am going to look forward to his comments on uh, muscle cars, especially Hannah. Who are we going to talk yeah. to? Yeah. This is Mike Spagnola, the president and CEO of SEMA. Uh, we have mentioned the SEMA show, the infamous SEMA show in Vegas, um, multiple times on this podcast. And now we have the top dog who's running the whole thing with us. Mike's been in the in the business for over 40 years. Um, he's worked for SEMA since 2013, and he's been president and CEO since 2022. So this guy knows what he's talking about. And um, yeah, I can't wait to get his thoughts on a lot of stuff we cover. Well, to, to me, also, the aftermarket is what it's really all about for a car lover, right? If you're yeah. a real car person, then you don't just buy something off the lot and leave it the same um, the whole time. Most likely, you want to put your own personal touches on it, right? That's so right. And this is actually perfect timing coming from the Retromobile show that I just came from in Paris, which is kind of like a SEMA, but it's for a classic, like beautiful, expensive classic cars like old Jaguars, old Porsches, that sort of thing. And it's all European. Um, so 
we saw SEMA in Paris-ish, and now we're going to see <laughs> the Vegas, the real SEMA, the Vegas SEMA. So this is actually a perfect pivot coming off of the aftermarket retromobile yeah. show. All right. Well, let's uh, bring Mike in right now. He's just uh, sat down and gotten mic'd up and ready to join us. Uh, real pleasure to talk to you, Mike. I've been a huge Thanks. fan of SEMA from afar. I've actually never been to it. Uh, I'm ashamed to say. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved in, in running um, SEMA? I mean, I've been in the automotive industry since I came out of high school. Uh, worked for several SEMA manufacturers, uh, owned a couple of those SEMA companies, and enjoyed all of it. Joined uh, SEMA on their board of directors uh, about 15 years ago. And then in 2013, I was selling my uh, company and uh, was going to just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And um, the idea came up for this thing called the SEMA Garage, uh, which was a product development center that would help manufacturers uh, develop products and get them to market. And I spent pretty much my whole career, you know, developing products, taking them to market. And so uh, Chris Kirstein, our president at the time, asked me if I would come on for three years and, uh, and create this product development center before I moved on to whatever I wanted to do. And I agreed to do that. So I'm now uh, nearly 12 years into my three-year contract here at SEMA and uh, ended up in the CEO seat a couple of years ago when Chris retired. I'm curious, can you just, for people who might not know exactly what SEMA is today, you, we, we might know a little bit about what it has been, but today, how would you describe it to somebody who's never been, but who's curious about going? Um, yeah, you know, we're a trade association and you know, people know us for the show. It, you know, when I say something about SEMA, you know, they ask me if I live in Las Vegas because that's where the show is. You know, you can get to YouTube or just about any automotive publication and know about the SEMA show. But I talk a little bit about what we do the other 360 days a year, and we do a lot. So uh, we're a trade association. We help small to large manufacturers uh, with their businesses to uh, make sure that they can stay in business, to make sure that they uh, we help them with tools and services to help them grow and prosper, both on the retailer side, small mom and pop retailers all the way up to the large chains, and then small mom and pop widget makers for performance and aftermarket parts, all the way up to Ford Motor Company. So it's a really great mix of enthusiasts and entrepreneurs and people that uh, own these businesses that make whatever widget aftermarket part you can think of. Uh, we help them with their businesses. We help them through advocacy in government affairs. We yeah. have the SEMA garage where we have these product development centers. Yeah, I definitely want to with education. I definitely want to talk about. Ahead. I want to talk about those garages um, for sure, and uh, also about your efforts to, uh, I guess, defend the freedom of car lovers in America. Yep. But I do want to get. Oh, what does that mean? We got it. We definitely got to <laughs> find out what that means. I do want to get the details on the show because that is. You know, yep. um, what everybody thinks about, and that's where all these uh, incredible releases come out. You see these really cool one-off cars that manufacturers are making or aftermarket uh, parts uh, manufacturers are, are putting out. And what, is it every year in November? How long is it? How many people go? Yep. Tell us about the show, because that's really what I think a lot of yep. people uh, know it for. Yeah, so it's, a, you know, it's the hardest car show that everybody wants to go to that they can't get to, because it's a business-to-business -business only show. Uh, we get about 160,000 people over a four-day period, usually the first week of, of November. Um, and it is just this gathering of all these manufacturers and buyers that come together to do business. So uh, including the OEs, you know, Ford Motor Company shows up and General Motors and uh, Stellantis, they all show up. Toyota 
had a huge booth this last year uh, to show off their not only their vehicles, but their aftermarket products, uh, their accessories, those sorts of things. Um, and so so you get the OEs, you get small and large widget manufacturers, you get all the buyers from across the world, 80 different countries that show up. And then you get some of the best built cars. Uh, we do this SEMA battle of builders that we started 10 years ago now. The best builders in the world come and build just these incredible hot rods and muscle cars and different vehicles. And it's amazing to watch, you know, every year when I think that, that builds just can't get better, they just outdo themselves. It's guys showing up with their custom cars, about 1,500 custom cars on the floor. Uh, the show takes over 3 million square feet. It, it takes over all of Las Vegas. Last year, we were the largest trade show in America, large, largest automotive trade show, wow. largest in Las Vegas. Wow. And, uh, and these it, builds just, are million-dollar builds. You know, people but, spend right. years sometimes yep. building something specifically for the SEMA show. They do. And some of these builds, the Chip Foose do and the Ring Brothers and some of the other guys that come in with these builds are just incredible. I mean, it's Formula One technology in some of these builds. So and then, Mike, of course, all these manufacturers show up with different um, new products. I mean, that is really where you're launching your newest product. So tell us a little bit about that. You mentioned new products. Obviously, we talk so much about EVs on this show. They're front of mind for everyone. Do electric vehicles have a part in the show? Are they, are they relevant? Are they part of it? And what does it mean going forward for SEMA? I mean, a lot of these guys, you think they're dealing with, you know, V8 and V12 engines. What does it mean for the future of SEMA, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, good question. You know, and, and we are evolving in that and looking at that every year. Uh, a couple points. There's the EV conversion market has really started to blossom. So taking a 69 Camaro, making it into an EV. Um, and it used to be that you had to, you found a crash Tesla and you pulled all the guts out of that crash Tesla. And then you put it into the 69 Camaro you know, uh, some would say that's heresy. Others would say it's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, the, the younger generation, that's their, they're the outlaw hot rodders, right? These EV conversions. So that's going on. But what's really exciting about that this year, we've, we uh, highlighted over 40 manufacturers of components. So now you're seeing battery packs come out. You're seeing motors come out. You're seeing all the controls come out, all the different components needed to convert a ice engine vehicle into EV. So that for sure is a burgeoning market, and we see that continuing to grow. Um, there's obviously uh, still accessories you can do to a, uh, an EV. I mean, take the, the Ford Lightning, you know, other than powertrain, you still need running boards and you still need uh, bed accessories, and you can still do all the things. You can still lift them. You can still put bigger tires and wheels on them. Uh, but the other thing that we are uh, really promoting is all fuel technologies and all uh, forms of propulsion. So. For example, this year we uh, at the SEMA show, we had about 20,000 square feet dedicated to the future propulsion that included hydrogen, it included alternative fuels, different forms of propulsion that's not just EV. I mean, I'm a kind of a Mopar guy. I got the um, one of the last challengers when they came off the line last nice. year. Uh, and being you know, a Dodge fan, I, I've been watching you know what, what comes out at SEMA, and they introduced their charger daytona electric vehicle at sema two years ago yep. right that sema was the platform that they used to show all of these you know muscle car people their new what they want to be a muscle car ev so you have uh, more and more manufacturers um using sema as a platform right and right. Uh, i wonder how much customization and personalization 
uh, how much of that is coming back? Because I know, at least in the motorcycle world, like Ducati and Triumph, this is how they want to make their money, right? They, when they release the Scrambler, they expect people to not only buy the bike, but also to buy a ton of different parts for it. Um, and is the same true in the car world? Some of the OEs, sometimes it's a love-hate relationship. They recognize SEMA. They recognize that it helps them. You know, at the end of the day, the OE wants to sell more vehicles. That's that's the bottom line. And so if we can help them do that, um, then it's a win-win. And uh, we recognize that, okay, you know, I'll just take the um, the Ford Raptor. You know, when that truck came out, I think the aftermarket was like, oh, man, we're in trouble. But then you see all these Ford Raptors that they take them off the showroom floor and they yank the suspension off and put an aftermarket suspension because people still want something unique and different. Uh, and then there's the whole other market with all the Ford F-150s that you can buy a base model and people still want to put aftermarket tires and wheels and larger uh, suspension, you know, all those sorts of accessories. So the market is still incredibly strong for aftermarket products and it will continue to be. The The OEs can only carry so many accessories. I mean, I mean, look at Jeep. You know, even though Mopar has a pretty extensive uh, selection of products that you can customize your Jeep on, the Jeep market through SEMA manufacturers is 20 times larger because there are people still want individualism. They still want to have different opportunities. They still want to have some way to customize their vehicle and maybe over time with different products. So um, I, I see it as still going. Do people run into regulatory problems now? Because as I mentioned, you are lobbying in Washington for, I don't know how else to put it, that it doesn't sound silly, but more kind of freedom for people to do what they want with their cars, right? So a lot of things in that area, in the kind of government relations end. So for example, our SEMA garages here in Diamond Bar, California, and in Detroit, we have full emissions labs. So for example, if you are developing an engine product that affects fuel or air, they have to go through CARB EPA testing before they're legal to sell. So we offer that service through our SEMA garage. So let's just say you want to develop an air intake for your new your new Dodge. We would um, work with the manufacturer and the development of that air intake. First off, we provide them with CAD data so that they can take the CAD data that um, that is that air intake, they can modify it for more volume. They can send that uh, data back to us, we can 3D print the part, put it on the vehicle, and then we can test the part for emissions compliance. Uh, we'll fill out the application for them. We'll send that application into CARB, uh, California Resources Board, and EPA recognizes CARB's certification. Uh, we'll do the testing form, we'll submit the test data, and we'll help them get their CARB EO so they can sell that product. So uh, and we count for over 50% of all the CARB EOs that go through every year. And then uh, take uh, suspension now and take all these new ADOS, all these controls now, the self-braking lane change departure. In our Detroit garage, we have the only ADOS center in the U.S. that looks at those sort of things and says, okay, what happens when you modify the vehicle? Can you give us a little update on, um, you know, SEMA's efforts to push back some of the EPA's uh, proposed emission rules in California? Yeah. I know you work on that, and I'm just really curious if the automakers love you guys for doing that or if they hate you because you're moving the target <laughs> and it's tough to plan when you move a target. Um, just give us a little lay of the land on, on how that's going. Sure. Well, I, I guess at the end of the day, the consumer decides. I mean, you're seeing that now. We're seeing that EV sales are slowing down some and that the consumer is not ready, even though the government is trying to force, you know, here in California by 2026, I think 33% of the 
vehicles sold have to be EV. And by 2033, 100% of vehicles sold have to be EV. And so we are saying that, uh, first off, that the government shouldn't put their thumb on the scale and that they shouldn't decide that it's EV and EV only, and that they should continue to allow innovation to move forward. Uh, and, uh, and that innovation comes in the form of several things, again, hydrogen, uh, synthetic fuels, biofuels, and the government shouldn't stifle that sort of technology and continuing to allow that technology to go forward. And they shouldn't pick winners and losers. It, it shouldn't be EV and EV only. And so we are taking that message to the streets, to the consumer. Um, you're even seeing, you know, uh, GM has now come out and said that they see hybrid as a future. Of course, Toyota has been on that bandwagon for a while. Ford is moving in that direction. Uh, the consumer, again, at the end of the day is gonna decide and the consumer is not ready for EV and EV only. And uh, that's why I see so many Montana plated cars in California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great car culture in Montana. <laughs> yeah, I might, I might know a person in the same room that has one or oh, two. Of those. Oh, 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 wow. <laughs> so it sounds like your whole thing is look, EVs are, are great. You're not against electric vehicles, nope. but you are, you believe they're not the only solution. Yeah, that's correct. They are part of our future, they are part of the answer, they're not the only answer. And even that the technology still has a ways to go, right? I mean, we're seeing problems in cold areas when things have to charge. We don't have the infrastructure yet. They're still working on range. Um, you know, environmentally, there's there's a lot of controversy as to really how clean they are because of mining and, you know, the materials needed and where those materials will come from. And so, um, you know, we believe that should all play out and there shouldn't be a hard line deadline that says, this is when it has to happen by. It's not, they're not going to make it anyway. I mean, we have to face the fact that we're not going to be ready by 2026 to have that sort of infrastructure and those sort of sales happen. And there's a lot of work being done in hydrogen again and some of these other fuels that is really promising, let alone the economic impact. I mean, if you shut down internal combustion engine uh, manufacturing and uh, the aftermarket that goes with it, the economic impact on the U.S. would be incredible. How do you respond to people who who just would say, "Oh, well, SEMA's anti-environmental." You know, they oh, they these are just guys out in in at Moab, you know, sure. tearing up natural habitat yeah. and and that sort of thing. You know, it, it's it would be easy to say that looking at, at some yeah. of these policies. I, I've received a few of those emails. Yeah, so, I'm sure uh, you have. Yeah, it, look again. We, you know, for example, again, our SEMA garages do this emissions work to make sure that products that are going out on the marketplace pass the EPA and CARB emissions. We work closely with CARB and EPA. We meet with them regularly. We we run those emissions labs at a loss. I mean, we we make our money through the trade show and through uh, dues, which we reinvest into our members' businesses. And uh, I've got 22 people just in the garages, just in the lab section that just do this compliance work every day for our manufacturers to make sure that they're compliant on emissions. And then when it comes to all the off-road, we work closely with uh, all the off-road communities to, to talk about leaving the land in the same place to make sure that it's clean, to make sure that safe and uh, areas are open to continue off-roading because it does bring quite a bit to the economy and it is still an area where people should have the freedom to, to go off-roading and camping and, and do their thing. It's no different than any other sport. I'd love to come out and see those garages at some point, um, Mike. And I definitely want to come to the show. Actually, starts my birthday this year, November 5th. So I'm really nice. looking forward nice. to it. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Really appreciate having you uh, on the podcast. Thanks. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street. 
the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. All right, so that was Mike Spagnola there from SEMA. Really interesting stuff that they're doing. I didn't know that they did more than the show. I knew they were obviously an organization, but I had no idea the extent of their lobbying. And it does seem like they that is actually the bulk of their work. Right. And the, well, to me, the garages sound fascinating, too. I'd love to yeah. get in, uh, in those and, and see the products that they're making. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we touched on electric cars with him, and he talked about the fact that GM is sort of turning back towards hybrids, and Ford has obviously done a little bit of a, of a turn as well. Porsche right. um, has pushed so hard in this direction, and now we're going to get... Uh, we know we're going to get an electric Macan, right? Yes. And we're going to get upgraded versions of the Taycan, um, because one of the things that none of these car makers uh, outside of Tesla have been able to do is replicate the range. That's right. And we got the information for the new next-gen Taycan, um, which is basically improved in almost every way over the, pr- the first generation, which came out in 2019. I mean, more power, more range, uh, acceleration is better and charges faster. So, I mean, Porsche at this point doesn't have a choice. They're, they are, they've got a foot in the electric car game, for sure. Um, but this new Taycan, they're claiming a real-world range of up to 587 kilometers. Um, we'll have to convert that to miles. But that is, I mean, it's, it's good. It's real good. Let's see. I'm just Googling that, and I should know. Uh, 365 miles. Okay. It's massive range. And this yeah. is like this the problem that um, that Porsche had, that Audi had, um, that most car makers have had when going up against Tesla is they couldn't do that range. Okay, GM right. has cracked that nut by putting gigantic batteries in, yeah. their, in their trucks. But I always thought it was weird that they didn't, from the get-go, just go and hire a bunch of engineers from Tesla to be able to beat them at their own range game. Whenever I read the Bloomberg intelligence analysis, they say, okay, as they're adding more EVs into the line, like possibly the hybrid 911, the 718 Boxer, the electric Macan, the ones that we just mentioned, um, that'll let them keep their margins close to 20%, which is pretty darn good. Um, and and that's, that's where they have to play. I mean, that's, that's their only choice. Hang on, hi- hybrid 911, you just said. And I know that mm-hmm. they're going to launch at least like a facelift of the 911 this year, right? Uh-huh. Or at least that's what I've heard. Is it going to be, is it going to have hybrid power? Is there going to be like a, just a 48 volt system? They can still have a purist product, right? They have Completely. like 26 different models of the 911. Of course. So they could have one that has a mild hybrid powertrain and they could have one that's naturally aspirated uh, flat six. 
Well, I, you're right. And I have to say, listening to Mike, it reminded me, oh, of course, Porsche's got this E, well, VW has this E-Fuels thing going, too. Um, we talked about that when I drove Edith, the record-breaking 911. She ran on E-Fuels as well, which is basically synthetic fuel that uses an internal combustion engine. That's still on the on the drawing board. It's still a possibility in terms of finding ways to stop using um, traditional gasoline. So... Well, you know, Formula One wants to do sustainable fuel, move to 100% sustainable fuel as well. I think mm. not until 2030, but there was a ton of F1 news over the past no. couple of weeks. Oh, really? I must have missed it. Did, I was in Paris. Did everyone I talk about it at Retromobile? Everybody. I mean, imagine being very close to Italy. I mean, yeah. France. And it, I mean, it was unbelievable. Everybody was talking about the stock price, you know, Ferrari stock price jumping almost 12% overnight with one personnel change. I mean, it was everybody between puffs of cigarette smoke and winking. They were just mentioning Lewis Hamilton (laughs) over and over. And I think honestly, everybody's very excited. Yeah. I mean, mean, this is like, well, Mark in motorcycles, uh, Mark Marquez, you know, he's going to race for a Ducati um, team for uh, mm-hmm. Grazzini, which uh, drives Ducatis. He's like the star, like the best driver there is in the in, at least until his injuries. And Ducati is the winningest manufacturer right now. So this is kind of like that. Although Ferrari hasn't been on top, like people want to see Ferrari come back, right? Well, so you had the yeah. superstar coming. I know this sounds insane, but they kind of need each other. Because Ferrari, let's be honest, hasn't won since 2008. Right, so I guess it's more like Rossi when Rossi went to Ducati. Yeah, yeah, and Hamilton hasn't been on the podium, let's be honest. And, you know, Ferrari's got a lot of money. He's reported to get $100 million in this contract. Um, And he brings with him not only his sponsorships, but also the the foundation that he started, his investment holdings that he has he brings so much with him it's like they the two ferrari and hamilton really are iconic brands but in a way they both kind of need each other because neither has been winning i thought they would be adding more and more teams right um is audi going to formula one or some uh member of the volkswagen stable and we just heard that cadillac is not yeah, this is another really interesting uh, scenario because they had kind of gotten a provisional green light last year um, to join with Cadillac uh, as their partner. And um, so from what I read, it sounds like F1 doesn't think Andretti racing brings anything to the series. That's crazy. Because I guess I'm just showing my age, but when you say Hamilton is iconic, you know, hmm. for me, someone like Mario Andretti is iconic, right? Yeah, in America. I mean, it does, it does kind of, it's interesting because you would think if Formula One is trying to get a hold in the United States, and obviously they do have a hold, it would be cool and great to have an American team with yeah. an American manufacturer, but... Um, you know, the, the official re- official <laughs> refusal was they don't see Andretti adding anything, which is kind of wild. But also, Formula One is not an American-centric sports Right. I think they want to see the motor first and mm. uh, see what the Cadillac team can, can offer. And 
there still is hope, I guess. By the yeah, way, twenty twenty eight. I've you know Cadillac is one of these brands that I just don't really think about that much, except for the Escalade, right? Because they're ubiquitous here on the streets of New York, um, and I guess in L.A. as well. If you don't have a G Class, you're probably in an Escalade there. Yeah, right? um, icon. But uh, I recently drove the CT four V Blackwing. It's a mouthful, and I wasn't <laughs> that excited about it because I had driven the CT four like the regular CT four, and it was like okay, but nothing special. It had an inline four. This has a V6, twin turbocharged V6, and I didn't think much about it until I got in it. It was brutally fast. I mean, really impressive. And not just that, but um, elegant in terms of at least the interior styling. The seats were very comfortable. The leather was nice. And the thing handled like I couldn't believe uh, like it was on rails. It was just an eye-opening experience for someone who I normally don't really like six-cylinder engines unless they're in a straight line, right? And it was uh, a revelation, and it made me think about uh, I need to get the CT5V Blackwing and drive that because that's more my yeah. my style, a supercharged V8 rear-wheel drive. It's in manual. And so I called up Cadillac to say, hey, let me have one of these cars. And what's the deal with this Blackwing series? I can't believe it's long for this earth. But they said they're going to keep making them. So there's going to be another one next year. As everybody else has phased out their V8s, you know, Dodge isn't making them. Um, the Chevy's own Camaro is on its last year of production, or they're already finished now. Um, Cadillac is going to keep going in this direction. I guess they don't make so many that it hurts their cafe say, they ratings. They must not make very many. That, well, they're they're very expensive. You know, a CT five V Blackwing is like a hundred grand, and you can option it up. It up, but um, oh, you know, I, how I, does it how does it sound? Uh, I mean, I haven't heard the the V eight the supercharged V eight. So, but I will tell you that the CT four V Blackwing, which is the twin turbocharged V six with four hundred seventy two. Uh, horsepower and like 450 pound feet of torque sounds amazing. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just burble, burble, burble. I would rather have one than an M3, basically. And wow, that's their main really? competition. Yeah, and by the way, a lot of uh, a very high take rate on the Blackwing cars, 48% manual transmission take rate, and you can't oh, find wow. another manual no. V8 sedan in production in the world. In fact, the only other any kind of V8 that you can get with a manual transmission, I think right now is the Mustang. There's no other V8 you can get with a manual. That's wild. I didn't know that. That's almost half. I mean, I don't even think... I'd be curious what uh, like Subaru has with their manual. Like, you know, I'm trying to... Obviously, well, what about the 911? I mean, uh, it's it can't nowhere be... near that yeah, high. Yeah, exactly. No, it's I don't nowhere think so. near that high. Yeah. Oh, that is interesting. Um, by the way, what kind of response did you get in your family SUV search? Tell so we us, got give us an update. We got a, I got a lot of responses, and <laughs> thanks for all of those. By the way, guys. no, I appreciate everybody's email. What's the address again? The address is hotpursuit at bloomberg dot net. Hotpursuit at bloomberg dot net. Yeah. So a lot of people wrote in. Um, remember, I was trying to decide between a Mercedes GLS and. Uh, a Range Rover long wheelbase. Both mm-hmm. of them used. I had a $50,000 cap um, from the wife. And so some people were writing in saying, hey, I got a GLS. One guy wrote in from Colorado and said, I love how it handles in the mountains. You know, obviously it's a family hauler, but I, he was surprised by its handling abilities. And somebody else wrote in and said, you know, I've had Mercs in the past, but I just got a Range Rover and it's really something special. The Merc isn't really mm-hmm something special that you're going to really look forward to driving. Um, 
other people wrote in and suggested completely different vehicles. There was a Lexus suggestion in there. Yeah, and the Lexus yeah. looks amazing. It is yeah. also, I think, a turbocharged uh, V6. I would love to drive it. I, mm-hmm. I, I love the angular, sort of brutalistic design. Um, somebody else wrote in and said, what about a used Sequoia? You know, which yeah. is an interesting idea. They had the 5.7 liter V8 in that. Um, but uh, I think the most important development of all was that Mario listened to the podcast and she has agreed to entertain your suggestion, which was the Grand Cherokee L. No way. Yes. yes. Oh, this is a this is really a wonderful turn of events. Yes, a huge win uh, yes. for the Miller household. If I can convince her. Uh, <laughs> so did you t- did you drive one yet? So I've driven. I just got in the GLS, and it's too early okay. to make um, a decision because I picked it up on the West Side Highway and drove it over here. I've only been in it for like ten blocks. But, but you didn't. Is, you haven't driven a Jeep yet. The Jeep Grand Cherokee. I've driven twice, and I love okay. it. Okay. 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 I, I, I love the Grand Cherokee. For you can have the V8, right? You can have the Hemi sure. in it. Sure. It has the Fam Cam, so you can look at your kids in the back on the screen. There's a passenger interactive screen, so the passenger, like if my wife's driving and I'm sitting in the passenger seat, I can enter something in front of me into the navigation system and then ship it over to her screen. Which I think is so cool. That's cool, right? Yeah, and you it's can, like the Bloomberg terminal. Exactly, you can control yeah. what the kids are watching. Like I think the Jeep has so many positives, um, but everyone compares it to lower level cars, to you know um, Toyotas yeah. and Hondas and Fords, and not to Range Rovers and Mercedes. This is something that you're going to have to wrestle with with your ego, and I would do have to do the same because. It's un, it's undeniable there's a bit of a status thing driving a luxury SUV. Sure, sure. A Mercedes or a Range Rover has a lot more yes. status, right? Even but, even if the Jeep is actually better suited for everything you need. Agreed. And also, I would point out that I don't necessarily want that kind of rep in my neighborhood as the guy who has oh. a Range Rover, you know? Oh, yeah. I'd rather I be understand. the guy who has a Jeep. Okay. You know, because it yeah. I, it's more down to earth. I mean, the Range Rover yeah. is undeniably special. It's got the supercharged yes. um, uh, five liter V8. It's got the incredible leather interior. You know, mm-hmm. the infotainment system they've never gotten right, and I don't think the, even the newest no. ones do. But, well, that's British for you. But it's but it's also a truck, right? It's a body yeah. on frame truck, whereas the GLS and the Grand Cherokee they're unibodies, so they're big cars. So the Range Rover, oh, the most important thing to me, I should mention, that only Range Rover and uh, BMW have in the X5. And I don't know why anyone else, everyone else doesn't jump on this bandwagon. They have the split tailgate. Oh. Back in the day, also, a lot of manufacturers had split tailgates. You could pull open at least the back window of a Jeep, of yes. the old sure. you know, Grand sure. Cherokees and Wagoneers. Sure. Um, I don't know why more people don't do that. It must be a safety thing, like the reason no one does suicide oh. doors anymore. Wow. You know, I never thought about that, but that's a really interesting thing. Because I remember in high school, of course, yeah. that, was, that was a big thing. All right. What else have we got uh, to look forward to for hmm. next week? Have you got anything on the docket? I'm going to go drive a Hyperion car with Supercar Blondie. What is Hyperion? It's a it's a supercar. It's oh. a it's a very random supercar. Um, you know, multi-million dollar car 
And she's got one here in LA, and we're going to go drive it together. Supercar Blondie is um, like an Alex Instagram Hirsch. presence. I know her because I follow her she, Instagram account. She is, let me just tell you, she <laughs> has a major media conglomerate that she has built with her husband, Nick, Alex and Nick Hershey. So there are quite a few people who really like what they do. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that, among other things. Is, well, I've just Googled it, and uh, Hyperion XP1, a hydrogen-powered one-off sports car developed and manufactured by American California-based automobile manufacturer Hyperion Motors. Um, wow. I it's... will report back in full. Well, I look forward to hearing about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I will, uh, next week, I'll tell you how my week with the Mercedes GLS 454 Matic has fared. I'm excited to put in two rear-facing car seats. Oh, that'll least. be fun. Can you put that on like a timer and let me know how long that takes? <laughs> it, I think I think it'll be uh, pretty quick. I'm I'm very adept at that. It is going to be kind of a bummer not having the Blackwing anymore and not having the i5. By the way, the BMW i5, I wish I'd driven it more. I didn't know how good it was until I was a few days in to my loan oh. and yeah. The thing flies and it is solid. I mean, it is built like a rock. Um, How's the sound system? So, in terms of the the music sound system was okay. Yes. I was just playing the Grateful Dead kind of on uh, not a high oh, okay. high level, right. but the fake sound I love. <laughs> no. Oh, love, Wait. love, love. What? I've become why? the biggest fan of fake sound in EVs. Oh, I don't no. know why. They have a great fake roar when you put it into sports mode and you just blast it down the Henry Hudson. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm speechless. I'm speechless. I'm very surprised to hear you, the Mopar yeah, guy, you're right. saying that you love this the synthetic I sound. I should be more of a purist, but wow. I will say um, wow. I just... I know. I think the thing is, I would get sick of it after multiple weeks of it. Mm -hmm. But every mm -hmm. time I drive, like the Mercedes EQS, I love the fake sound. Um, they had like mm -hmm. a lion I think roar. You've mentioned that, yeah. And and now in this BMW i5, I just it's it's so much fun. It makes me want to put the pedal down even further more often. All right. Well, I guess that does it for this week. Join us uh, same time, same place next week. And definitely give us an email. The email is hotpursuit at bloomberg.net. Hotpursuit, all one word, all lowercase, at bloomberg, B-E-R-G, dot net. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Hot Pursuit. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.